Chapter 2 A Woman's Work In the 1980s, my husband and I went to Hungary to visit some of my relatives who were still in Debrecen. We went out to eat at a Jewish restaurant where we could have a real old fashioned, tasty kosher meal. As we were sitting and eating, an elderly gentleman approached us and asked us who we were. I told him that I came from Canada now, but that I was originally from Debrecen. My father's name was Shandor Weissenberg. Ah, I knew your parents, he said. And I knew your mother even better than I knew your father. I got curious. In those days, he continued, I was a yeshiva student who studied in Debrecen, but I came from a village. The custom was that Jewish families in Debrecen provided us out of town students with meals in their homes, and on the weekends we would go back home to our parents. For years, I ate at your mother's dining room table at least once a week and sometimes twice a week. She was an outstanding lady. After I would finish my meal, she would prepare a food package for me. She would say, Here is a small snack for later, but she would give me more than enough for a whole meal. And this happened every time I ate in your home. She was a kind and generous lady. I will never forget her. His words brought tears to my eyes. While my father contributed to society with his philanthropy, my mother contributed in other ways. I remember my dear Anu as a single mindedly devoted mother to our large family. She was a tender, always busy, somewhat tired woman whom we dearly loved and respected, but who seemed distant and perhaps weary of yet another chatterbox of a child like me in her menopausal years. Feeding a large family like ours plus our living help was more than a full-time occupation. It's difficult for me to imagine preparing three meals a day every day for 10 people. But this was her life's work, and she was good at it. The main meal was at noon. My father ate at exactly 12 o'clock every day. Then after an hour-long nap, he would go back to the business until 7. All the siblings ate at various times after noon, depending on our school or work schedules. My tired mother would be serving us from noon to 1.30. It was like a restaurant. Father liked quiet, peaceful mealtimes, but the interactions between our siblings were often noisy and filled with disputes, especially between my brother Lotzi and Avi, who were just one year apart. I can't imagine what life of an only child would have been like. Supper time was after my father and my older brothers came home from the business, and it was usually a light meal. On winter evenings, we had toasted rye bread rub with garlic and spread with chicken schmaltz, cold cuts, and a lovely sweet tea.
If we didn't have meat, we had a light dairy meal, but never the two together. We had a very kosher household. Preparing food for winter was a major undertaking for my mother and Aunt Charlotte. All summer long, they made fruit and vegetable preserves, jams and marmalade, pickles and tomato sauce, and many other delicacies, and we lived on all these goodies during the winter. This was a world in which ready-made food was not available or would have been shunned by proud homemakers like my mother. I love these memories of happy times when mouth-watering aromas would permeate the air in our home. I especially loved Anya's preserves, like her red cherries in rum sauce. Ah, was that good! And then there were the walnuts, fresh and green and as big as plums, which we all had to help her prepare. First, every walnut had to be pierced twice with a fork, staining our hands with its juice. Then Anu immersed them in a liquid sugar syrup and some alcohol. After three years, they would reach their ideal flavor and became the most delicious treat. I came to the conclusion at a young age that anything edible that was prepared with alcohol of any kind was bound to be delicious. I never lost the yen for these walnuts. By the time I was 10 years old, I often accompanied my mother when she went shopping for live poultry at the market where the farmers sold their livestock and produce. When I think back, I realized that her shopping skills were uncanny. She would pick up a hen and blow into its feathers to see the color of the skin. And she would tell me, See, it is yellow. This is an old hen, good only for chicken soup. Or when she was interested in buying a duck or goose, she would ask the farmer's wife, Which village are you from, dear? Is there a creek nearby? Do you let your birds wade in it? If the answer was yes and yes, she would not buy the bird because of the likelihood that it had eaten fish while wading and would taste fishy. Once she found the right birds, Anya would get at least two and keep them in cages at home where they would be force-fed for a few weeks. When they were big and fat, they were slaughtered by the shoichet. The geese were then defeathered and cut into sections, cured in some kind of brine, and taken to the smokehouse to be smoked, which gave the meat flavor and longevity so it would last through the winter. The meat was then hung in our cold pantry as we didn't have a refrigerator. We did have an icebox, but it was used mainly for milk and other dairy products. After the goose fat was rendered, it was put into large stone containers and used as the main cooking oil for meat dishes. The large goose livers were seared and served as a delicacy. I can still see my mother and Aunt Charlotte working all summer just to have food for the winter. Anya was proud of her cooking skills and kept some of the recipes a secret.
She was devoted to her role as a homemaker and to looking after us. I don't know how she had the strength. She did have full-time living help, but it was still a lot of responsibility. It was her whole life as it was for most of her female friends and neighbors. They were the unsung heroes. It dawned on me years later how much being Orthodox and Shomeret Shabbat, observant of the laws of Shabbos, was a blessing for Onyu. Her incredibly delicious cholent, with the traditional kugel and a piece of smoked goose meat, was prepared in advance and kept warm for Shabbos lunch in the ceramic oven after it was brought home from the bakery's oven where it had cooked through the night. There was no cooking on Shabbos, and so she had a well-deserved rest. This was the day when she could put up her tired feet and avidly read the Mult Eshieve, Past and Future, a Hungarian Jewish literary magazine, her favorite. This magazine closed on in 1944, but reopened for publication in 1988. Our tightly knit Orthodox community was very charitable. I learned about tzedakah, charity, watching my mother. It was a religious obligation to help others, especially the poor, and to do chesed, acts of loving-kindness. Anya was involved with a circle of women who helped poor brides get everything they needed for their weddings and trousseaus. I was a curious onlooker at many of these women's meetings. I also remember the dressmaker who used to come to our home whenever we needed new dresses or coats or when old ones had to be altered for the next sibling. We could not buy ready-made clothing in those days. The dressmaker was a religious woman with six children and she would bring her baby with her. She was also the breadwinner in her household and always looked tired with watery eyes and puffed eyelids. When I asked Anya why this woman was working so hard, she answered that it was because her husband was a Torah scholar and was sitting in the synagogue all day and studying. All day? I wondered. Couldn't he help her just a bit? But I was afraid to ask. Occasionally, there were family disputes about money. I think my parents were financially comfortable, and yet with that many children, especially with all those tuition fees, funds were limited. Often when we went shopping downtown, my mother would remark, you see that big corner apartment building? It could have been ours if your father had listened to me. What was the big dispute? During World War I, she explained, I told your father, Shandor, we have some extra money. We don't know how the war will end. Let's put half of that money in dollars and half in German marks. That was my opinion. Father didn't listen to me. He did what he decided to do. He put everything in marks. With Germany and Austro-Hungary losing the war, the German marks became worthless. 
We also knew that my mother managed the business by looking after two children when my father was called up to serve in World War I. Reportedly, she was very good at that too. It's amazing how much talent the women I knew had. However, they didn't always have a chance to prove it.